I, I, uh, I've been thinking about tolerance for a while. As Jason said, I just, I just wrote this book, or just published this book. Um, and tolerance has a kind of complicated relationship to Christianity, it seems to me. Um, we're, we're said we're supposed to be tolerant. We, we say that liberal democracies retire, require a tolerant citizenry, that tolerance is a good thing, that we should cultivate it in our children. Um, and yet, there's an ambivalence about tolerance that's out there, both within the churches and elsewhere. The best way to, to get your mind around this is, I, I, if you've got the handout, point one is do the Google test. So you, you Google tolerance or you Google toleration, and you start clicking on the links, first couple pages. Half the links will be about what I just said. Tolerance is good. It's, it might be a virtue. Uh, liberal democracies like ours, uh, pluralistic societies like ours, we need, to be, we need to be tolerant of each other's differences. It's very important. But if you keep clicking, suddenly you get discontent and opposition. And about half those links will be about how tolerance is, in fact, a vice, how it's not a good thing, how we should not cultivate it in our children. Uh, and what's really interesting is that the, the complaints about tolerance span the political and religious spectrum. So left and right, highbrow and low, um, religious and secular. So for example, um, if you just look at the, the, the books that are suspicious of tolerance, one of my favorites is, is written by a guy named Ryan Dobson. Ryan Dobson is the son of James Dobson, the, uh, focused on the family fame. He's written this book for basically evangelical youth groups. The title of the book is Be Intolerant, exclamation mark, because some things are just stupid. Okay, so uh, my, when, my head, when I had teenagers and they found this book on my shelf, of course, gobbled it up. It's, you, you can read it in about, you know, you can read it in about an hour. Um, but you can, you can see the idea. The, the, the instinct is um, there are certain things that secular society Non-Christian society, non-evangelical society encourages the youth of America to regard with indifference or to accept that in fact are contrary to the gospel. And therefore, in order to draw that boundary between the gospel and everything else, he says we basically have to discount tolerance as a virtue. We can't count it as a moral ideal. But then I'd like to pair this book with a book by um, a political theorist who teaches at the University of Berkeley, University of California at Berkeley, Wendy Brown. Her book is called Regulating Aversion. Uh, let me make sure I get the subtitle right. Um, uh, Tolerance in an Age of Identity and Empire. She also thinks tolerance is a bad idea. Okay? And she's offering a kind of highbrow criticism of it, right? pitched to academic elites. So think of the divide. You've got Ryan Dobson, male, white, middle America, evangelical thinks tolerance is a bad idea. And then you've got Wendy Brown, coastal, secular, highbrow, <laughs> pitched intellectuals, tolerance is a bad idea. Um, to, to me, this sounded like a research project, right? When you've got something that everybody hates, there must be something going on there. Um, but the, the complaints are different. Um, on, the, on the right, basically religious and political right, the concern is that if you lift up tolerance as an ideal, you encourage a kind of moral relativism. You encourage a kind of moral collapse where the things that we should in fact find abhorrent or object to were in fact encouraged to be indifferent about. Okay. 
on the kind of religious and political left, the worry about tolerance is that it begins with a judgment about other people, that they're objectionable in some way, right? And that you then endure them as a res uh, nevertheless. And so there's this kind of condescension built into tolerance. There's a power differential. Some tolerate and some are tolerated. And there's something morally problematic about that. I think on the, on the religious and political right, the objections to tolerance are more vocal and more common. The worry about moral relativism, the worry about moral collapse, a worry about a society that's headed in a direction that now endures or tolerates things that our grandparents surely would not. Um, you can see this, as I said, in, in a variety of books. Um, Benedict, Pope Benedict XVI, when he was Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, wrote a book called Tolerance and Truth. The argument in that book is roughly, if you confess Christian commitment, if you hold true to the Christian faith, you cannot regard tolerance as an ideal. Because there are truths that you must defend, there are truths that you must stake your life upon, and you cannot tolerate anything else. Um, but you, again, you can, you can see this worry about tolerance basically across the, the political spectrum. But it's mostly a, most, most vociferous on the right, I think it's most interesting on the left. So some examples. So my examples two through four are all examples from um, kind of left political and religious objections to tolerance. So I was at a, I was at a garden party. It was actually at Eric Gregory's house, OK? Um, <laughs> this was last summer. Uh, a colleague at the university came up to me and said, I hear you're working on tolerance. I said, yeah, I am. I hate tolerance, this person said. Ah, oh, my students hate tolerance. This is a, this is a person who teaches um, a course on religion and gender. But this person then said, you know, and I agree with them. I agree with my students who hate tolerance. It's, it's, it's condescending. It's patronizing. But then he said, but I'm really uneasy about this. Aren't we supposed to like tolerance? Or point three, I met a colleague in the hallway. This is at the seminary. Um, who had not the worry from the Christian right, the worry about compromise with an overly liberal and promiscuous culture. Rather, her worry was about, um, about the gospel of love. To tolerate someone, she said, we must first find something objectionable about them. Jesus didn't do this. Jesus didn't tolerate people. He offered them love. And she kind of left me with a slogan, Christians don't tolerate. We love, and then kind of turned on her heels and, <laughs> and left it. So I'm writing about tolerance, and my colleagues in Princeton, I get harassed as a result of this. <laughs> and, then, and then last, the f um, point four, tolerance for, is for cowards. I found this in the press about six months ago. This is the, uh, the CEO of AT&T. He was speaking out about racial injustice on the Black Lives Matter movement. He was offering support for Black Lives Matter and for the, the anger felt among, um, among ethnic minorities about racial injustice in America, about the, the aggressive stance against injustice that was being taken in the streets. And he was saying this was a good thing. 
The opposite would have been tolerance. You shouldn't tolerate racial injustice. We're going to get to this in a minute. And thus, tolerance must be a vice. In fact, tolerance is for cowards, he said. So what's going on here? And here's, here's point five. Why is there, on the one hand, a regime of endorsement? Tolerance is something good. Liberal democracies require a tolerant citizenry. Why do we have that on the one hand, and yet on the other, all this discontent about tolerance that's kind of bubbling below the surface in American life that comes up periodically? And it's, as I say, on the left and the right. The, the easy answer is, is pretty simple. No, no one wants to be tolerated, and no one wants to tolerate. Right? Right? I mean, if, if you have a friend that says to you, you know, I really love you, but I, there's all sorts of things about you that I just have to tolerate, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's going to make you feel terrible, right? Um, we're, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to complicate that response in a minute. I mean, so too, think how hard it is to tolerate stuff you really dislike, right? So you've, you've made it an objection to something or someone, an attitude or a judgment, an institutional arrangement or something. You find it objectionable, and then you kind of hold yourself back. No one likes to do that either. So that's the easy answer. No one likes to tolerate. No one likes to be tolerated. I don't think that's all of it. It's, it's part of it. And, and here comes the, the heart of the, the talk, OK? So this is point six. And here I'm going to draw. I'm going to draw a distinction between three things. And I'm, when the, the argument I'm going to make is that it's the failure of, uh, that we, the difficulty we have drawing this, this distinction between these three things, drawing these three distinctions, that accounts in part for the confusion we have about tolerance. Okay? So the first thing is an action. And I'm going to call it the act of toleration. Okay, and by that action, I mean enduring something, some action, attitude, person, or arrangement of things, enduring something you dislike or despise in some way, something that you find objectionable in some way. Okay, an act of toleration, an act of endurance. Okay, you with me with that? Next, the virtue tolerance. Right. So by virtue, I mean a, a moral perfection. A habitual perfection. So, so think of courage, right? The courageous person is the person who is able to act courageously across multiple circumstances, most, most importantly, most prominently, in circumstances where there's some difficulty or danger, right? You're walking down the trail in Yellowstone, and the grizzly bear leaps out, right? And what happens to you then? This is not a rhetorical question. <laughs> I hope you know. Well, no, you don't get eaten because you're courageous. What are you going to do? They say jump down in a ball and just. Right. So your your courage is connected to your your practical wisdom. You have enormous practical wisdom, and so you know exactly what to do. Of course, when the grizzly bear leaps out, something happens inside of you. Adrenaline and no, come on, fear. You're terrified, right? And of course, fear makes makes you want to flee, and of course, fleeing makes you get eaten. You makes you get eaten. So you're courageous. So you know how to have the right kind of fear in, the right, in response to the right sort of dangers. That fear is tutored by your better judgment. And so you know what to do. And then multiply the circumstances. It's not just grizzly bears, but 
bosses who are like grizzly bears, right? <laughs> Dangerous political circumstances, so on and so forth. Tolerance is like that, okay? The tolerant person knows when and where and in response to which differences to offer this action, enduring patiently something you dislike or despise, okay? You with me? It's a habitual disposition to respond to differences in the right way, offering the right response to things that, in fact, are objectionable. And then last, semblances. This is the hard one. Semblances of virtue. Okay? By semblance of virtue, I mean false lookalikes. Things that look like virtues, but in fact are not. And this will make sense in a minute. So, a just act of toleration, that act of patiently enduring something you dislike or despise, requires two things. If it's going to be just, if it's going to be a right action, it requires a right judgment about something objectionable and a right response to that objectionable action, attitude, or arrangement of things. This implies the following. An act of toleration of patient endurance is different from a just and right resort to that action. Let me say that again. An act of toleration, the act of patiently enduring something you despise, is different from a just and right resort to that action. How do we know? Because you can tolerate what you shouldn't. You can endure what you should not. And in other circumstances, you can endure what you should. What's just and right to endure? Notice the difference. There are some things that you ought not endure, that you ought not tolerate. There are other things that you obviously should. The tolerant person, the person who has the virtue built up inside of them, makes that distinction across multiple cases and responds to differences as they should, offering endurance, patient endurance, to the right differences, the right persons, the right things that deserve objection, and withholding that endurance to others. You're all very quiet. This makes me nervous. Okay. An example will help. Point seven, I hope. Consider race and racism. Go back to the Black Lives Matter example. It's often said, this is part of the public rhetoric of, of our American society right now, it's often said that we should tolerate persons of different races, ethnicities, genders, sexual orientations, right? This is pretty common talk. Let's just use race as an example. We're supposed to tolerate racial differences. Now, given what I've just said, does that make sense? You're shaking your head. Tell me why. Well, I don't think so. Good. <laughs> Thank <I'm>, you. <laughs> I don't either. It seems like, like, based on what you just said, that tolerance as a virtue discriminates between this circumstance and this other circumstance. That's not a, a quality on which tolerance should be applied. Correct. Your name? Ella. Ella. Ella has s struck gold. 
Good. Good. Right. No, this is exactly right, and actually we're going to get to the gospel aspect of this when I get to Paul. Part of the issue for me is, and part of the, comp- I mean, one of the things that really interests me about tolerance and why I care about it, and why I worry about the kind of culture of complaint with respect to us, is that I think one of the centerpieces of Paul's gospel, basically the moral payoff, is something called forbearance, which is I call a sibling to tolerance. They have the same action, but they're ordered to different ends. Can I hold off on that? You can do whatever you want. Get to the end. Thank you very much. So is it, is it Ella? Yes. Ella. So I mean, I think Ella's point is where I want to go. Whether it's right or not, we'll have to see. My thought is um, to rightly tolerate something, the first thing that has to happen is you have to make an objection to something you regard as, make a judgment about something you regard as objectionable. And your judgment has to be right. It truly has to be objectionable. So are racial differences a, a source of right objection? Well, no, they're not. They're just not. There's nothing objectionable about racial differences, period, full stop. And so when we say that, what, well, we need to tolerate racial differences, there's something deeply mistaken about that. And if there's something deeply mistaken about that, and yet it's part of the public rhetoric, you can see how things are going to fall apart pretty quickly. Or you can see how the sources of complaint from the left and the right might come. Racism, however, deserves our objection, right? So people who find racial differences important and who scapegoat or stigmatize others across that difference, racists, real racism, that's objectionable. So consider Uncle Oli. I'm from Minnesota. Everybody's Oli or Lena or Calver, <laughs> okay? So Uncle Oli. I actually have an Uncle Oli. I'm describing a real case. Racist Uncle Oli, your mother's brother. Okay? He comes to every Thanksgiving meal. He's there at Christmas holidays. The great big table. There you are with your wife. And, you, and imagine I have children. They're, all, they're grown now. But imagine the day when my kids were you know, 12 and 10. And Uncle Oli gets into the schnapps, and he has a couple of toots, and then all this racist stuff starts coming out of his mouth. As it did. Okay, you're the parent. What are you supposed to do? Something truly objectionable has been said. Objectionable sentiments and feelings are coming out of this guy. An objectionable guy. Sentiments, feelings, and persons. There it is, right in in front of you. And there you're looking at your mother, and your mother's giving you that look. No, <laughs> right? Don't do it, right? And your wife is giving you that look like, the children, you, you have to speak up, right? Uh, right? And you don't know what to do, right? This is why I want to say tolerance is a virtue. If you're truly tolerant, ideally, you'll figure this out. It's not so clear, right? Um, I mean... The really morally satisfying thing would be to stand up and smash down a fork and denounce the guy, right? Uh, that, that, that prophetic witness would be really powerful, right? But that's going to kill your mother. I mean, like her heart. <laughs> I mean, literally, she might just keel right over. Um, 
And, and besides, is it going to change this guy? I mean, it's going to be really satisfied for you, but is it going to do anything to this guy? No, no, nothing. This guy's never going to change. He's a member of the family. He's always going to be there. My thought would be, what you need to do is think about the, uh, uh, um, the moral formation of the children. Right? So, this, so your wife's looking at you and saying, come on, the children, you have to say something. And what, what she's thinking is, if you allow this racism to go without response, they're going to think, Racism can go without response, and that's not right. So, I mean, if, if, you're, if you've had the talk with the kids beforehand, Uncle Oli, he's a racist git. <laughs> he gets into the schnapps. He's going to say terrible things. We, uh, we love him, but we hate his tolerance, uh, hate his intolerance. Um, you know, we hate his racism. Um, you know, so long as they're okay, it might be okay to endure this. It might be. I mean, again, I'm not certain about this. I've given this talk at other churches, and people stand up and say, absolutely no, you've got to, you've got to do the prophetic denunciation. You have to slam a fork on the table, and you have to leave. No. Well, so right. I'm thinking, I'm thinking family, but maybe not. I mean, I don't know what the issue is. I don't know what the answer is. But notice, notice the exit option, right? And I want to say that exit is one of the key... Basically, physical exit is one of the key signs of failure to endure. I can't tolerate this. What's the sign that you can't? You have to exit the relationship. Or I have to keep that person out of the relationship. So Uncle Oli, he doesn't get an invitation anymore. He's out of the family. Another example, um, IAF is the Industrial, Industrial Areas Foundation. It's a community organizing group. They have a, a campaign in, in both in New York and New Jersey called 10% is Enough. It's about um, same-day lending. Okay, so It's a community organizing, and it's basically churches gathered together to acquire some p political power to change the, the world around them. And they've got a campaign going, 10% is enough. That is to say, same-day lending, which tend to charge 25 to 30%. These are basically folks who are living paycheck to paycheck, right? So they, they get a loan in advance of a paycheck. Maybe the paycheck is $250, but it's 30% it's on $250. Okay, and that just seems usury, right? It's contrary to the gospel. So they've got, we've got this campaign. Now, to join a campaign like that, churches have to join up with churches, other churches, often that have doctrine, commitments, social practices that don't line up very well, right? So churches that think abortion is okay might have to form alliances with churches who don't. Churches that ordain women might have to form alliances with churches that do and vice versa, right? So imagine the pastor comes to the congregation and says, you know, there's this injustice in our community. The four poor folks in our community are getting ripped off by the same-day lenders. These same-day lenders are important. We need them around. We want them to make money, but they can't have this usurious, usurious rate. We're going to join together with these other churches and, and see if we can acquire some political power and then go to the state house, uh, uh, go, go to the legislature, and see if we can get these laws changed. The congregation might say, well, we can't, we can't line up with these other churches. 
They believe and do what we have been told is false, contrary to the gospel. Again, a question, what are you supposed to do in circumstances like that? Are you supposed to endure the company of these other churches, other congregations, for the sake of doing justice in the world, or not? Or nine, how are we doing on time? Pretty well. Tolerating and contesting horrific injustice. Legal abortion, judicial torture institutional racism, and so on. It's said that our country's most divisive differences and disputes, its Jim Crow past and present, its culture war battles, are evidence of its intolerance. We're divided, as we know in this country, by, by disagreement about these important matters, basically about what different what about our different fellow citizens regard as sacred? And we say because of that, those differences, intolerance is on the rise. I would suggest to you that that's untrue, in fact. It's more complicated than that. Surely there's disagreement in our political body about these very matters and others. And surely there's contest, opposition, organizing, correction across lines of difference. But no one has exited the relationship yet. Maybe we're close, some of us in, in some cases. And, and of course, there's extremes on, on, on left and right, absolutely. But I, I think about my wife's... My wife, um, my wife's mother grew up in a very, very conservative Catholic family in the Midwest. And my wife's aunts, a great big Catholic family, I think three of them were Maranel nuns, I think there's two priests in the family. Um, but they, they, would, they, they worked really hard on the pro-life issues across their lives. I mean, going to rallies, raising money, advocating in, in the state houses, working really hard thinking that abortion was a great evil and needed to be opposed, right, should not be tolerated in a way. And yet they never exited the relationship. In other words, they still regarded themselves as American citizens. They regarded those who had different views from theirs as their fellow citizens. They were trying to change the views of their fellow citizens and their own political culture. But at the end of the day, when the rally was over, they went home. They went home. If you want an example of real tolerance, what you need is an example of exit, where you basically leave the relationship or where others are expelled. I don't know how you, uh, where this congregation is on Donald Trump, but if you look at the videos of his, of his rallies, right, where, I mean, in many respects, those were, those were images of intolerance, where people who had different views were shown the door, made to exit. Their presence was not endured, right? If their presence was, would, would have been endured, they, the, 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 the